You're listening to Country Life with Keith Fahey on Galway Bay FM. I'm Keith Fahey and welcome to this week's edition of Country Life on the show this week. We're delighted with Darren McCullough from Ears to the Ground discussing his own farm there and uh, we'll also have Alan Dillon, a beef specialist with Chagas discussing uh, the Dairy Calf to Beef programme scheme in which he is involved in. Plus we'll have some art reports there and some farming news from across the county and as always if you'd like to contact us here in Galway Bay FM, uh, don't hesitate to give us an email at uh, countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. That's countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. So all our listeners, you're all very welcome back. Uh, to the first country life of 2024 and we'd like to thank all our listeners for listening for all of last year as well and all of the messages we received there as well uh, we hope you enjoyed the show and if there's any topics you'd like covered this year don't be afraid to give me an email at countrylife at galwaybfm.ie and we'll uh, we'll try and cover whatever topics or if you have any questions there I'll try and get back to you on those as well so we're wishing you and all, all your families a very healthy and happy 2024 um, so a lot of changes in 2023 there uh, in terms of agriculture we see a lot of different changes in price there uh, dairy and was obviously back a long way on 2022 there compared to 2023 beef prices uh, really surged in the last couple of weeks um, and lamb prices are slightly up as well in the last couple of weeks as well there so we'll go through a number of different things there with uh, Darren McCullough there who's also the presenter on Ear to the Ground there a familiar show there that you, a lot of you would be watching uh, every week there so he's going to cover a lot and he also grows a lot of flowers on his own farm there so we're delighted to be able to discuss that with him later as well and we'll also have Alan Dillon there, a Chagas beef specialist there. Uh, he's a, a specialist in, in, in over a good few of the beef programs in, in relation to Chagas there. And he's going to cover a good bit there on the dairy calf to beef scheme. Um, the dairy calf to beef um, weaning the calves and uh, feeding the correct milk replacer vaccinating programs and and looking at maybe some of the economics there on the top performing uh, beef farmers within the program in which he's involved in so that should be also quite interesting there as well so some mart reports this week uh, there's a lot of marts not opening back or opened back yet Uh, we just have a couple of mart reports there Um, we'll obviously have a lot more next week and the week after there as as the marts uh, get back into full swing so uh, March m- m- report there from Mount Bellew sheep sale on Saturday uh, the 6th of January uh, rec- uh, reasonably sized sale for the first day of the year lambs remain similar trade uh, to the sale before Christmas um, as did the stags big demand for the heavier fleshy lambs the lighter store lambs are harder sold some sample prices there from Mount Bellew March on Saturday gone by uh, 3 la- yo lambs all clean 42.5 kilos uh, coming in at 112 euro 10 yo lambs at 40.7 kilos uh, coming in at uh, 110 euro uh, 140 42.1 kilos coming in at 124. 10 euro lambs at 53 kilos coming in at 155 euros. One ram lamb at 52 kilos selling for 132. And 17 euro lambs at 48.7 kilos coming in at 145 euro. Looking at some stag yos there from Montbellu Martin Saturday. 8 yos at 79 kilos sold for 116 euro. 14 yos at 84 kilos sold for 130. 12 yos sold uh, for at 77.6 kilos sold for 117. And 6 yos at 80 kilos sold for 120. Breeding goes um, a selection of breeding goes carrying twins met from about 150 euro and the sheep sales is on every Saturday at 10 a.m. Cattle sales return Friday the 26th of January in Montpellier Mart and more information can be got at Montpellier 
uh, .ie and you can check it out on Facebook as well and the mob, or the number there for Montpellier Mart is 090-9679-660 Looking at some of the farming media there looking at the Irish Farmers Journal there at some of the headlines um, winning bull prices surged by 120 euro ahead according to Adam Woods there the beef uh, and suckler editor uh, prices for top quality winning bulls weighing 300 to 400 kilos jumped by almost 120 euro ahead last year um, the Irish Farmers Journal analysis uh, of Marpids data shows limousine bull whalings experienced the biggest price lift rising by 178 euro between 2022 and 2023 so a significant increase there uh, for whaling uh, limousines uh, the breed with the highest average price uh, was Belgian Blues at 4 euro and 5 cent per kilo for a 400 to 450 kilo whaling this was up 53 cent per kilo or 225 euro ahead on the previous year's prices Belgian Blue uh, bull whalings commanded the top prices paid for a kilo in almost all weight categories in both bull and heifer whaling sections. Uh, the analysis also shows that the limousine and Charlie Sard whalings dominate the market accounting for over 70% of all whalings sold. So some interesting information there from Adam Woods. Also looking at rural crime, the survey there by the Farmers Journal trespassing the main issue, uh, issue, issue facing farmers. Machinery theft, an issue for 40% of farmers surveyed. Quad fertilizer and trailer theft, farmhouse break-ins, theft of diesel and power tools are the top reported incidents, writes uh, Rachel Donovan, the news correspondent and 18% of surveyed farmers experienced intimidation and while trespassing was the main rural crime issue for the majority of farmers surveyed, one farmer found that the property on their land was used as a vehicle for, uh, for, store, for drug storage. Almost 50% of farmers who have been impacted by rural crime have cited trespassing as the main problem they face um, but the Irish Farmers Journal survey has found several farmers who responded to the survey said that the trespassers hunting with dogs was an issue uh, with one respondent explaining how their son was threatened with the pickaxe handle when he confronted a trespasser on their farm. Machinery being stolen from farmers was an issue for 40% of farmers, while 31% of farmers experienced break-ins into houses. Intimidation was an issue for 18% of farmers, while just 4 and 7% respectively of farmers had issues with stolen livestock and theft of money. Farmers were also given the opportunity to tell their experiences when it came to rural crime. The top five reported incidents for rural crime were in in order, quad, fertilizer and trailer theft, farmhouse break-ins and the theft of diesel and power tools, cattle disturbance and property damage and trespassing. So that's uh, very interesting there uh, from Rachel Donovan. And no plans for NCT-style uh, testing of farmers, writes Rachel also. The Road Safety Authority, the RSA, has told the Irish Farmers Journal... Uh, that it is unlikely that it will be recommending mandatory testing for farm tractors. This follows the news uh, last autumn where it is understood that the RSA was considering the introduction of an NCT-style testing for all agricultural tractors. At present, it is unlikely that the RSA will be recommending mandatory periodic test inspections for agricultural vehicles. It is likely that that we will be recommending the use of our existing voluntary PTI service for fast tractors, which is available via our CVRT test network there writes the, the RSA that was a quote from the RSA uh, stable water quality enough to secure a 2026 derogation writes Noel Barden uh, from the Farmers Journal another um, news correspondent there with the IFJ uh, stable water quality trends and sufficient 
suffic- sufficient uh, political will will be enough for Ireland to secure a post-2025 nitrate derogation, according to comment, um, comments attributed to the European Commissioner for the Environment by the Department of Agriculture. These comments from the Commissioner's meeting with the stakeholders in Agricultural House last November differ from the previous position that water quality having to be good or and improving for another derogation to be secured. The Department's stakeholders, uh, stakeholder group on water quality noted that at a later meeting, the group had also heard that in 2024, the Department is to convene a working group on setting up a national feed database. So I suppose that's uh, similar to the National Fertiliser Database where all feed uh, purchased uh, will have to be associated with a herd number there, which is already the case there uh, in the last couple of months there in relation to the the fertiliser database. Looking at the Irish today's Irish Farming Independent, Tuesday's Irish Farming Independent, record surges, farmland prices top 15,000 an acre in Munster and Leinster lead the way as tightening supply boost sales, writes Jim O'Brien, the average price uh, for an acre of land sold at auction in 2023 reached 15,223 in a market that saw an increasing shortage of farming ground and record prices. And Kildare Chilling takeover leaves three firms controlling 90 to 95% of the sheep kill from the CCPC. Uh, Kieran Moran writes the Irish Independent Ireland's three main meat processors will have a combined market share of approximately 90 to 95% uh, in, in the purchase of live lambs after Dawn Meat's acquisition of Kildare Chilling. Despite the highly concentrated nature of the market for the pur- purchase of live lamb and sheep for slaughter in the state, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, the CCPC, still found the deal would not significantly lessen competition. So, interesting there. Also looking at beef prices there. Factory and feedlot hunger for cattle drives mart prices upwards, right? Martin, writes Martin Coughlin there from the Irish Farming Independent. A good share of markets were back uh, last week and demand for cattle for all types is at least as strong as it was pre-Christmas with feeder and factory types stronger. Looking at the beef prices there at the minute, looking at 5.05 to 5.10 for steers, 5.10 to 5.20 um, for the heifers and cull cows are going anywhere from 3.90 to 4.80 per kilo. And pricing are ed- edging upwards despite strong numbers. Looking at some other marts there, looking at Manor Hamilton numbers here each, 600 with the trade across the board up 3 to 5 euro per head for sheep. Uh, better presented 50 kilo lamb sold to 155 euro per head, while those of fuller dirty fleeces were discounted by about 3 to 4 euro on the store side 30 kilos sold to a top of 90 euro per head and colio numbers were quite small also a very interesting article done there by uh, Serena Gibbons who works with us in Chagas and Athen Rye have you been handling your cattle wrong expert tips for the ease of ease of safety uh, making some sample changes simple changes uh, based on understanding livestock behaviour will reduce the risk of farm accidents improve animal welfare and make your life handier right Serena Gibbons and some information there as well on that on page 20 of the Irish Farming Independent today also looking at the Temple Grandin uh, type style uh, cattle movement so Temple Grandin obviously a, a worldwide known um, animal behaviourist and uh, researcher uh, who has looked at a lot of the, a lot of the factories around the world have actually used her type of ma- uh, handling cattle facilities uh, to incorporate quicker and easier movement of cattle so if you look her up online there as well she's a, 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 f- a famous and fantastic woman there who is uh, you know has been uh, the forefront there of cattle movement and cattle behaviour around the world um, if we get the animals emotions right we will have fewer problems with behaviours right Temple Grandin so first up on Country Life this evening we're delighted of Alan Dillon a beef specialist with Chagas Alan you're very welcome on to Country Life firstly maybe Alan you might tell us a little bit about your role with Chagas yeah thanks Keith um, 
I'm running the Dairy Beef 500 uh, Calf to Beef program, which has been in operation now for, we're in our, we're in our second full year of production. Um, it's essentially focusing on trying to make dairy calves to beef more profitable. So calves come from the dairy herd and we're trying to work on all aspects such as, you know, um, improving uh, the health of the calves, improving the beef genetics of the calves, um, working on basically the management of the calf all the way through. So we get the most out of it as cheaply as possible through the calf's life until they're slaughtered at around the, you know, depending on what, what the system is, but around the two-year of, two of age mark. Um, we're running, I suppose, a number of demonstration farms around the country. Um, we have uh, new entrant courses going on, etc. as well, discussion groups and you know, it's, it's all there to try and give more information out to farmers to try and help them to, to um, I suppose, understand more about what goes right and what goes wrong in this industry. Because you know, we do find it's a, it's a change from sucked or cows. If some guys change over or store to beef or whatever, fellas are at, it's a, it's a very different system, and there's a lot of different skills that people probably need to understand before they enter it. The beef prices, Alan, have taken a big jump in the last couple of uh, weeks, especially, I suppose. Uh, will this have a big impact on, we'd say, the profitability of the farmers in the in the calf-to-beef programme for 23 and maybe start of 24? Um, yeah, we're, we're just starting on profit monitors at the minute in, in dairy calf-to-beef from 2020. Look, they're probably back a bit in, in a lot of cases. Um, but beef prices were a little bit better in 23 versus 22. You still had a huge... Uh, cost in terms of inputs, especially in that first six months of the year where meal prices especially have caused a lot of trouble. Um, the extortionate meal prices from the first half of the year really did hamper profitability um, compared to the, what the beef price was in the factory. So we are dealing with, we're hoping that look, maybe meal prices might drop a nice bit further again, maybe in the next, over the 12, next 12 months and, and give us a chance to maybe recoup some of the ground lost there. Um, and look, I suppose while we talk about inputs and the cost of beef, price of beef, etc. The weather was our biggest problem in 23. I mean, that incessant rain, it really did hit driving cattle. We're looking at finishing cattle coming in probably 50 kilos live weight lighter than normal. And Weenlands are probably back 20 or 30 kilos on average. So, you know, any that weight gain of those finishing cattle that we would have normally got at grass had to be made up in the shed at a much more uh, extortionate level of cost versus doing it at grass. So, um, Look, prices are improved a nice bit over the last two months, but I suppose every farmer tell you it's all needed when you look at the costs. I mean, um, you know, we probably would, would survive with a lower beef price maybe slightly if, if, if weather had played more ball a bit better last year, but unfortunately with the, with the level of rainfall that fell nationwide, and it went, it was everywhere, almost everywhere felt it. It was, no matter what county you talk to, even in drier ground, you know, they did get much higher levels than normal experience, and it did hit tribes, so... While prices are one thing, uh, what, what, what falls down from the sky can often, lead, can often cause more hassle than, than, than anything else. And where, in relation to cost of production of calf-to-beef systems, where are you seeing uh, the biggest cost for farmers rearing calves? Um, the two biggest areas, I suppose, look, would be meal prices, meal costs, meal input, and I would say the other one is health. Now, look, the health problems generally stem from a breakdown. So if you end up with a health breakdown on your farm, look, you can suddenly spiral out of control and you can have vets out every second day and drugs being administered. And, you know, it's often easy to forget how much you're spending when you're doing this and what you do if the cats are sick and they're on your farm. You have to treat them. You have to solve it. It's not something you can walk away from and, and change tack all of a sudden. So we will be trying to be a bit more proactive on farms in terms of, you know, using your vaccinations in advance, 
um, you know, for RSV and PI3, you know, treat them for coccidiosis if you need to on your farm, etc. And, and use adequate levels of bedding and having proper housing and ventilation um, in, in, your, in, your, in, your, in your housing to try and mitigate against these breakdowns happening. But we have seen it this year, especially with the way the weather was, especially that autumn, summer to autumn period, where it was extremely wet, well into October, and also temperatures were way higher than normal. So you this warm, wet, muggy climate that caused a lot of sickness, especially in weanlings going into sheds, and calves at grass also, which is quite unusual. Um, the other thing then, I suppose, is the meal costs. And look, you know, as I said, this year was a perfect example, or last year, should I say, at this stage, was a perfect example. Um, you know, if you lose out in that weight gain at grass, it's, it's a bit of a mountain to climb to make it up inside, especially the way a lot of silage quality went. Silage was quite poor, especially that second cut, where it was left from the, going for maybe 10, 12 weeks because of weather. Um, and came in then at a much less than desirable DMD, probably 60 or less DMD. Um, it, it was a significant cost of probably an extra 150 to 200 euros to put that weight gain back on cattle versus doing it quite cheaply at grass. So if, if we can get more of this weight gain from forage um, over the main grazing period, we can seriously curtail our cost of production. But unfortunately, 23 was the perfect example of what you don't want to happen. We're hoping this year will maybe allow us to our costs again. Okay, uh, so what does the uh, the 500 in the dairy calf to be 500 campaign stand for, Adam? Yeah, the 500 is for our target for profitability nationwide, so um, I suppose we're looking at uh, a net profit excluding all subsidies, so no no payments, um, no acres, no anything included uh, of 500 euros per hectare, so let's look, it's 20,000 on a 100 acre farm before all subsidies are included. And this is our average national target, this is where we think we can get to the national level, so Within that, you will have some farmers, especially our demo farms, that can go a lot higher. We've seen them hit north of a thousand uh, euros per hectare at times. And look, one year in isolation is no good either. You look to look at a three-year average across every farm and see how they perform. But look, we we think at a moderate stocking rate of, you know, one forty, one fifty kilos of organic nitrogen, um, we can achieve in and around that five hundred euros per hectare. If you're much lower stock, let's say at one ten, one twenty organic nitrogen. You probably wouldn't be able to achieve that from production, but maybe when you add in some environmental payments such as acres and ANC, etc., you probably will hit that on average, that, that, that level of, of profitability. But that, that's where our target is, that we need to get an average up to around 500, which is, which is modest. Modest, and if you're trying to rear a family on it, you know, look, 500 euros per hectare probably wouldn't cost us. You'd need something else with it, you know? Where are the main areas you're seeing uh, farmers maybe falling down in the calf-to-beef system, uh, Alan? Uh, the main areas, I, I think, I suppose we touched on it slightly already, is one is herd health, I think. Um, you know, the calves get sick. It's, it's stressful on both the calf and both on the farmer. It's kind of putting people off a bit, really. Um, and really, people often worry about scour binding calves. But by and large, the age you buy calves in it, they're talking touching three weeks in a lot of cases. They're probably past the stage of scour where, you know, rotavirus or anything, or anything might hit them. It's probably more pneumonia you're, you're more prone to at that age, so... We do see a lot of viruses going through calves at various stages of life, and that's something that can really curtail performance later in the animal's life if it's left untreated. Um, even if you do cure them at some stage, there could be a lot of significant lung damage done. So it's, it's ensuring that they don't break, succumb to viruses at an early stage of life, and that's where we promote look, vaccination, buying directly off farm. Being, so you can't be 100% biosecure, obviously, buying in calves, but buying from the least number of sources possible and have a, buying from a farm that you know where you know, proper practice has been given where adequate levels of beasts are going into the calves, etc. The other one then is, is basically the 
practically fall down is basically the cost of production because out of control. Too much meal. I know weather has a big effect, and that's that's unfortunate. But where where you see probably a lot of meal trying to compensate for poor grass and management or poor silage quality, um, it can unravel the profits fairly quickly. Uh, ventilation and calf housing, Ellen, is obviously very important as well. And I think, you know, maybe a, a lot of farmers maybe that switch to it in the first year, and sometimes, you know, they can tend to maybe buy too many calves for the, the sheds that they have maybe, or would you agree? Yeah, um, we often see it. Look, calves are often put into whatever shed is free in the farm. That might be an old hay barn or something which is unsuitable. It might look, it, it's open on one side, but still might be a lot of stale air sitting in the roof. You know, they can't escape because it's, it's an improper shaped shed. Um, <clears throat> and look, farmers can retrofit these sheds and can put in, you know, space boarding or Yorkshire boarding. And, you know, it is about the proper space allowance and proper adequate levels of bedding, bedding your cows properly, not overcrowding the pens. And look, if you do that, you, you definitely lessen the risk of problems with, with um, viral viruses getting through the shed. And just in relation to kill-outs and grading, uh, what, what kind of animals are being killed off farm uh, on the dairy calf to beefs at the, at the minute? Uh, and maybe how are they grading roughly, um, Alan? Okay, yeah, in terms of grading, um, grades, look, they're not too dissimilar to last year. Um, we're seeing look, a lot of these dairy ones with the Frisian types are coming into a few peas and the rest will be O's. Um, what we do often see, at the, what we're seeing at the minute a bit more is that the weights are back down. We're looking at probably, we're down about 20, 25 kilos in terms of weight, uh, carcass weight coming out of the factories at the minute versus last year. Um, so while cattle came into the shed that bit lighter uh, and we fed them on as best as best we could on the farm, um, the weight, the level of weight gain isn't being made up. The cattle are finishing probably at a similar-ish time, but you know, if you're back 25, 20, 25 kilos, that's 100 to 140 euros you're probably down depending on grade and weight, etc. You know? Um that's one thing we've noticed and look while the weanlings are back on weight due to the year as well hopefully you know if we got a reasonable grazing season this year they might make up some of that weight gain with a bit of compensatory growth when they get back out to grass Okay and just in relation to, to, to milk feeding calves there uh, anyone on the farm or the programme Alan doing once a day or are you doing twice a day or what, what is that mixed up and I suppose the importance of looking at the, the type of milk replacer as well maybe Yes um I suppose uh, most of our farmers will be using either twice a day feeding or a couple of automatic feeders as well. Um, so I would say, look, it's, it's once a day is probably something that's practiced generally when calves have been wound down on, our, on the demo farms um, off the milk when concentrate intakes have increased fairly substantially. Um, I suppose in terms of the quality of milk replacer um, and, and the type of milk replacer, look, it's, it's whey or skim. They're the two ingredients we're looking at. We try and avoid any of the real cheap milk replacers that may be made with, with you know, vegetable fats, etc. And um, in protein content, a lot of people worry about it, but look, anything from 21 to 23% is what's being fed on farms. You know, that, that's perfectly adequate for rare beef calves. And look, it's important, when milk replacement is important, it's very important to get that, that rumen moving, getting a bit of a, a bit of a fibre source available to the calves and getting a good starchy concentrate into them that they can develop the rumen as, as quickly as possible. 
Very good. Alan Dillon from the Calf to Beef program there. Beef specials with Chagas. Thanks very much for coming on Country Life. Chagas are also running a number of different uh, Dairy Beef 500 uh, events that are happening throughout the country. So if you want to look up uh, Dairy Beef 500 events there on the Chagas website, you should find them. So thanks very much to Alan for coming on Country Life there. So next up on Country Life this evening, we're delighted to have Dara McCullough. Uh, Dara, you're a farmer, a journalist, a presenter, and uh, you have your own flower business to name but a few. How do you keep it all done, Dara? <laughs> well, I'm sitting here on the side of the road in Clare Morris. We're just wrapping up a shoot here today for Ear to the Ground. Look, I'm lucky. Uh, I have some great staff at home keep the show on the road for me while I'm off um, swanning around the country um, asking interesting people about to tell me their stories. And uh, I, I suppose I enjoyed the mix so much I'm reluctant to give any of it up. Um, obviously there's kind of pinch points during the year you know I mean we're just coming up to the last kind of block of shoots and ears to the ground which means you know you can be away overnight and running and hopping and trotting I don't know if anybody that uh, spends a bit of time on the road for work will know uh, that the inside of a jeep uh, or a car can become a, a bit of a, a, a doghouse when you're in it uh, 24-7 hopping and trotting and then you come home and you pull on muddy boots and you're flopping around and look it's just the time of the year that's in it um, but as I say I'm lucky to enjoy it all and uh, yeah I need a little bit of pressure to get out of the bed in the morning I suppose. Very good, very good. And you're also involved in daring as well, um, Dara. I suppose we were looking at a massive uh, difference there in relation to milk prices received by dairy farmers in 2023 versus 2022. Yeah, there was a big difference, but I suppose a little bit of perspective uh, is needed on this. 2022 was a year like no other for dairy farmers. Uh, So... Uh, the vast, vast majority of dairy farmers made an income in 2022 that they had never, ever dreamt of. Um, Prices were close to 60 cents a litre when all the solids and bonuses and everything else were added into it. And, uh, you know, okay, obviously meal prices and um, fertiliser prices had taken a jump, but some operators were very lucky. They had... um, they had Ford bought. I know at home in our own situation, we tried to Ford buy some. We still got caught um, buying uh, fertiliser at the top of the market. But most farmers tried to dial back a little bit on the amount of fertiliser that spread in the year that was in it and uh, kept the meal as tight as possible as well. So there was great returns made in 2022. So comparing uh, anything with 2022 is a kind of a... A, a fool's errand. Um, 2023 compared to the long-term average in terms of returns for dairy, and dare I say it, won't turn out too bad. I mean, obviously it was a big change when the, the base price falls back from maybe uh, $0.47 cent a litre back to 32 or $0.30 cent a litre. That's a huge shock to the system, and that's where the challenge comes in. As uh, a farmer said to me one time, he said, it takes... Uh, one year to get over uh, a price shock, it takes two years to get over a price bonanza. In other words, when prices are very high and returns are very good, a lot of extra costs tend to creep into the system and that's difficult to wind back on. And uh, so 2023 was challenging for farmers. Probably more challenging was probably the impact of the weather because 
the weather just didn't do what weather is supposed to do. You know, uh, in cer- certain parts of the country, July, you know, uh, counties got double the rainfall that they normally got. Um, September was another write-off month in the southeast and uh, parts of Cork where screwed up the, the grain harvest. I know in, in my parts of the country, October, November, and into December, and jeepers, December, it seemed like the rain never ended. Um, and we ended up with uh, our long-term, our, our total annual rainfall, 30% more than the long-term average. That's a lot of extra rain. And of course, that's putting pressure on farmers now in terms of uh, slurry storage. I see it at home as well. Our tanks are full. Um, and this is despite, you know, on paper, we've, fulfill all the uh, regulations and requirements but you dump an extra couple of inches on uh, yards and laneways and all the rest of it that goes with any modern farming operation uh, and gather it all up in a tank it's not long filling up um, a million litres of storage yeah, and I suppose looking at the the dairy as is you know in terms of cow banding, you know this is also going to have a massive effect, Dara. You know on nitrates going forward, especially with I suppose high maybe smaller or maybe higher output farms, maybe with lower numbers of cows. You know there's going to be a huge demand maybe for land to try and uh, you know reduce or dilute the nitrates figures for these farmers. Yeah, um, this has been the big story of certainly of dairy and dare I say it uh, of Irish farming for the last 12 months has been the impact of first of all um, the rebanding of cows um, in terms of the amount of slurry that's allocated to each cow in terms of her output so high output cows have more slurry output and uh, those figures were tweaked accordingly and then of course the, the twin uh, measure that um, happened in 2023 was that the 250 kilos derogation that allowed farmers to spread up to 250 kilos of organic uh, nitrogen per hectare was also removed and that's been dialed back to uh, 220. So when those two things are combined, it has really hit some farmers. Now, I've been very critical of uh, a lot of the commentary and the leadership um, and the farm organization's reaction to um, a lot of these measures because, in my opinion, the measures were necessary. We, You know, water quality is not improving in the country and farmers keep on complaining to uh, anyone who listened to them uh, why are they constantly being blamed for uh, disimproving water quality. And then on the same hand, uh, they uh, resist um, uh, measures that are designed to tighten up the amount of leaching that's coming out of farms. And there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, if if you don't have enough slurry storage or you, you spread too much uh, uh, slurry or organic nitrogen per acre, you, um, you put the water uh, system under pressure. So there was no point in codding ourselves that we could continue, you know, um, uh, pulling the wool over each other's eyes and pretending that our cows didn't excrete, you know, more sorry when they did. And, uh, and so certain farmers, that's not to say that certain farmers haven't found themselves in some very, very challenging situations. And of course, the the real the guys that are most exposed on this are uh, the farmer who has, as you mentioned, high production cows, where 
effectively the amount of slurry that was being allocated or accounted for those cows was being underestimated. So that figure has been changed. And uh, if that same farmer is landlocked or finds himself milking off uh, a small area of land, suddenly now he needs, he desperately needs extra acres to spread uh, slurry on, in other words, to stay under the new regulation limit of 220 kilos per hectare. Um, And that's had a huge spillover effect um, across the whole of agriculture. So, you know, there's been effectively a massive scrum for extra acres because, of course, think about it, it was all, it's all entirely logical. You've got dairy farmers coming off a record year when they made record profits. They're being told, lads, you're not going to be allowed to make that kind of money or have that kind of production level again if you don't get yourself extra acres. What's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to go out and look for every acre they can get their hands on. And this is putting pressure on tillage operators, on dry stock operators who may have been renting a bit of land next to them or had long-term deals that had just come to the end at this period and suddenly the land is back in the market and has been bid up to four, five and six hundred euros per acre. Unheard of figures in the history of Irish farming. Um, So, you know, that's created a a bit of friction, a nice bit of friction between um, the sectors. You know, if you're a tillage farmer you were reliant on those acres for your production and then it's not nice to see suddenly see a dairy farmer come in and gobble it all up and there's other dairy farmers who for one reason or another haven't been able to get their hands on those extra acres and now they're faced with having to cut their cow numbers and uh, you know their their income will suffer as a result and that's why it's been the biggest uh, issue in Irish farming for the last 12 months. Um, it's a huge challenge, but uh, at the risk of uh, sounding, uh, making myself terribly unpopular, the, it was this, all this stuff was being talked about for the last uh, three years. And I always say, it, listen, if you're serious about running a business, you've got to take heed of what's being talked about in terms of what is going to potentially affect your business. And any farmer who claims that, oh, well, we didn't know this was coming, or I only found out about this um, when the official announcement was made, I'd be inclined to say, do you know what? You need to spend more time learning about what's going on in the sector because um, every discussion group meeting, every edition of the Farm and Press was talking about this issue for the last 12, 18 and even 24 months. So uh, there were a lot of warning signs out there and uh, I think uh, the prepared guys, as per usual, the difference between a good farmer and a bad farmer was sometimes explained to me as two weeks. (laughs) So the guy that uh, gets out two weeks earlier with the sprayer, the guy that uh, has the land prepared two weeks earlier, uh, the guy that has is ready for calves and two weeks before it actually starts tends to be the guy that sails through the year and it was the same fellow that had done the groundwork and rented the extra acres or taken uh, the made the changes to ensure that he didn't fall foul of these changes in regulations. Very good, yeah, that's a, that's a fair uh, statement there. The two weeks, you know, it can be the difference even whether you're making silage or whatever the case may be, the two Absolutely. weeks. Exactly. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit, uh, Dara, about your flower business that you operate. 
Yeah, well, my main business at home that I have, uh, I'm in partnership with my neighbour, Joe Leonard, on the dairy farm, and I have a small slice of a big operation there, and that suits me down to the ground. Um, what I spend most of my waking hours at home uh, fretting over is uh, 100 acres of uh, cut flowers and foliage, and that's made up mainly of daffodils, but we also grow things like peony roses and gladiola and sunflower and eucalyptus and um, rose hips and all kinds of different elements that are found in any bouquet of flowers that you'd buy anywhere in the country. And um, I suppose it's been growing incrementally over the years. You know, we started out, my dad started out growing onions uh, 50 years ago um, and tooled up for it to become one of the largest, if not the largest, onion grower in the country. But it was when he had all uh, the kit for that, he was kind of looking over the hedge to see, you know, was there other enterprises that he could utilize all that bulb harvesting and drying kit? Um, and he hit upon the idea of growing daffodil bulbs, which are planted at opposite times of the year from your traditional crops. So we plant daffodil bulbs in uh, the autumn time and we harvest them in June, early July. So uh, it was a good fit and uh, so we got into growing daffodil bulbs and as it happened, I went out of business growing onions. I couldn't like any other. It's a, a story here up and down the country um, for years. And it's quite shocking at this stage how many vegetable growers have exited the veg growing sector. And uh, to the extent that there may be as few as 60, can you believe it, 60 outdoor commercial vegetable growers left in the whole of Ireland. Uh, we were one of those who exited the sector. Uh, so we gave up growing onions and I concentrated um, on growing daffodil bulbs and daffodil flowers. So, you know, uh, this week we'll be uh, out in the fields picking our earliest varieties of flowers and we'll be picking away there until Easter comes at the daffodils. Um, and, uh, you know, as our daffodil enterprise grew and, you know, customers would say to us, well, what other flowers are you growing? And for years I wasn't growing any other flowers. So we started stretching our legs into, as I say, gladiola, lily, um, peony roses, sunflower, um, lots of different flowers in tunnels. We put up polytunnels. And then one thing led to another during COVID. We set up a website and started selling direct to the public. And now we have, uh, just in the last year, we built a, a farm shop um, to sell flowers. And, you know, when you build, <laughs> what I was saying to people, yeah, I'm thinking of building a farm shop, they invariably say to me, oh, that's great. Are you going to be serving coffee? And I go, you know, no, you know, I'm, you know, it's a shop to sell my flowers. And they go, oh, yeah, that's great. Sure, we'll be down for a coffee. So, and I was kind of looking at them going, all right, well, better sell some coffee, so, so uh, we built the shop, I bought a coffee cart, uh, a trailer, set that up, and uh, then a, a local chef um, popped in one day and said, hey, listen, I love what you've done here, would you be interested if I could set up a, a pizza takeaway business in um, a trailer on your in your car park, and so now we have pizza being sold. So it's amazing how, you know, they all hear a lot about farm diversification and uh, what farmers should or shouldn't be doing. It's funny when you start out on the road of, um, you know, uh, a small maybe diversification on your farm, how 
incrementally over time it leads you down lots of different possible uh, opportunities and I suppose I've just been either naive enough or brave enough to keep following those possibilities. Not all of them um, work. Uh, I mean, the coffee card, for example, everyone said to me, oh, should that be a license to print money and, you know, coffee's uh, the new whatever. Um, but we're struggling to break even with that. And it's a simple reason, you know, you can make a lot uh, per cup of coffee, but you have to be selling cups of coffee. And, of course, we didn't have a tradition built up of people stopping at the farm to buy coffee. But I need to be patient, and uh, it's like a lot of uh, new ventures. You kind of need, not deep pockets, but certainly reserves to be able to tough it out for the first year or two um, before it gets going. Um, I remember when we first started selling on the side of the road, we had uh, flowers, and we were literally set up on a Saturday morning with buckets, calf buckets, (laughs) calf feeder buckets hanging out of a pallet. And I'd sit in a park up at the side of the road and people would stop and buy a couple of bunch of daffodils from us. And that was grand on Saturday and Sunday. And then I said, well, sure, if we can sell them Saturday and Sunday, maybe we should be selling them on, on Friday and Thursday. So, well, for the first six months, we used to try to sell flowers on the side of the road on a Friday. We struggled to sell 100 euros of flowers. Um, and then I realized, okay, I need to ha- offer a greater variety of flowers. And... So you can see how, you know, the whole process takes time and you need to be patient and certainly not be expecting to make millions from it. But we stuck at it and, uh, you know, thank God we're, we're still in business, still liquid, and I hope I'm building something for the future. Very good, very good. Fair pity and the best of luck with it. We hope it goes well for you. Um, ears to the ground. What's on this week, Dara? This week, uh, God, I, I barely know what I've shot yesterday, let alone what's coming up in the programme um, on Thursday. Um, I, uh, as I say, we were in uh, filming here uh, in Mayo today and I was with a water diviner and uh, uh, amazing to see it happen. Uh, a lot of farmers would be familiar with water diviners because, of course, most farmers do try and get a will drilled on their, their land at some point or other and um, there's despite all the science that we have there still is no better way to find water than the fella that has the gift and it is a gift I mean I, I don't know if you've ever tried a keat but you know all it is is a, a forked branch or twig or clothes hanger um, and you just hold it tight in your hands and if you have the gift that thing just pops up when you hit the aquifer underneath the ground so we were out filming uh, today with um with Paddy on that um, and uh, that will be coming up on the screens in a couple of weeks' time. What have I got for you this week? Oh, that's it. I'm with a farrier um, in in Kildare. So uh, a man by the name of Joe Winters and he is the farrier to the stars. Um, we filmed with him in an extraordinary um, set of stables just on the Mead-Dublin border. It's owned by Keen O'Connor, who, of course, is a former uh, Olympian um, show jumper for Ireland. And uh, Keen is not only handy at uh, jumping horses, he also has a keen eye for business. And he's uh, obviously, over the years, built up um, a serious business where he identifies horses with great potential and trains them on and sells them and also schools um, young aspiring riders that want to do what Keane did and compete at international level. So he has this 
kind of Disneyland uh, set of stables at Carlswood um, on the South Mead border. And you walk into the place, I'm not kidding you, most hotel foyers wouldn't be as fancy as uh, the barns he has. It's all LED lighting and soft uh, lighting and natural timber and the horses. It's it's like they've arrived in the Seven Star uh, Hotel out there in Dubai. And, um, so we were with the farrier there who, you know, ha- uses all the latest technology to assess the gait of every horse. They're all shooed religiously every four to six weeks. And of course, after shoeing them, either the horse or Joe, the farrier himself, usually jumps on a plane and heads out to Florida where they're either competing or looking after other animals. Uh, I think in the day after we filmed with Joe, he was going to Florida and then on to Canada and then a final stop in California before flying home again. So just another kind of little insight into the... uh, the kind of mad lives that ordinary people are living up and down the country. It, it, it can be a, a water diviner in Mayo or a farrier in uh, Mead. They still have extraordinary stories to tell. Brilliant. Very good. Very good. We'll be looking forward to watching that this week. So, Dara, it was very, very interesting to talk to you. A, very, a lot of different topics covered there. And uh, thanks a million for coming on Country Life. You're very welcome, Keith, anytime. Um, so, and uh, keep an eye out there for the Dairy Calf to be 500 events that are happening throughout the different counties in Ireland. And more information can be got for these uh, on the Chagas website there by looking up Chagas Dairy B500 events happening in 2024 and they should come up there. So, we hope you have a lovely Tuesday for me, Keith Fahey and all here in Galway Bay FM. We hope you have a lovely evening.